Support for this podcast is provided by That Cast Creative. Brand your business and connect with your audience by creating a custom podcast. Learn more at thatcast.com. When we launched the company, we felt like, yes, there were some challenges, but what Portland had is the openness to new foods and delicious foods, clean label foods, gluten-free. So we had some of the qualifications. And another thing that we loved about Portland and still do is the support from the community. Hi, everyone. You're listening to the PDX Executive Podcast, a show about inspiring business leaders from Portland and beyond. Junia, thanks for, so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so you're the founder, a co-founder and CEO of Razi Bites. Here in Portland, I have so much I want to talk to you about. Um, we'll kind of do a little history of you know your, your company, you know where you're at now. Um, talking before we started recording, I also just want to talk to you about kind of the, the entrepreneur journey, right? Yeah, and kind of where you're at. So. Um, for the folks that don't know, for the few, can you just tell us a little bit about you know your company and uh, when you started it? Yeah, so uh, Brazil Bites is a natural foods company, and um, we um, came about to bring Brazilian cheese bread to the U.S. market, which is the most popular snack food throughout South America. So I started the company about eight years ago here in Portland with my husband as a co-founder. And the product is sold in the freezer section of grocery stores. And yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, you got on Shark. So when you were on Shark Tank, it was pretty early days of the company, right? Kind of. We've been, we had been in business for about four years. Four years. Okay. So it was a huge break, right? Mm-hmm. It was a, con- it, it changed everything for us. It, we got a lot of exposure that we needed. We had been in business for a few years. We had some distribution out there, but it was a, the brand was very little known um, mm-hmm. unless you were a very sort of were familiar with Brazilian cheese bread right. or uh, perhaps you were somebody with uh, gluten sensitivity that was already a fan or had traveled to Brazil. But what Shark Tank did is it gave us the exposure that we needed to really um, grow the company. Yeah. And so those, I would say, of the company, there's a couple inflection points. That's probably one. Yeah. And then recently you just had one when you took took on kind of a majority uh, partner. Is that right? Yes, we did. Yeah. So two major milestones for sure. In 2015, we went on Shark Tank and really, you know, did a 10x in revenue the following year. Wow. And then just recently, about a month ago, we did a deal with private equity. Oh, great. And then last year, I think you were recognized as Portland Business Journal's Executive of the Year. Yeah. So it's great recognition here locally. So well, let's talk about you know, uh, I mentioned to you too, you know, when you Google your name, uh, a lot of things come up about, you know, what you've wrote really about the entrepreneur journey, right? And just kind of uh, some of the articles for you know, how my marriage survived through entrepreneurship, or, you know, I didn't take a paycheck for the four sh- first four years of the business. Um, w- tell me about that. And, you know, you, you had you and your husband both had full time jobs, right? For the first three or four yeah, years? Yeah, about. So, we co-founded the company, right? And we didn't know if how we, we knew this was a delicious, amazing product and it was wildly popular in South America. It's not unusual for an entrepreneur to bring an idea from another country, right? Mm-hmm. To their own home country and try to make that a business. So that concept is the same concept as Starbucks, right. you know, bringing coffee to, to America. And so 
with that format, I should say. And so we had the idea. We knew the product was wildly su- successful, but we didn't know if it was going to work stateside. And so the early days of this business was a huge grind because we had what we needed to do was listen and see how people were interacting because the format wasn't going to be the same. Mm-hmm. We needed to to change and to frame it so people here would understand and it would be the right product for the consumers. And then and that includes like lifestyle, what you know, what you eat for breakfast, how the day flows for families, right. what equipments are in the kitchen, all those kinds of things will impact if a product will succeed or not. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, we you know, the ve- the first few years were a lot of discovery and listening and in order to do that there was a lot of grind, mm-hmm. a lot of time on the floor. And we started the company making the product ourselves, a kitchen crew here locally. Okay. Which is a kitchen incubator. Um, here on, on Broadway, a really great place to start. Yeah. And, um, and so we didn't have anything to, sh- you know, to, to sell in a way that was meaningful that could produce revenue in those early days. Okay. So that's why you guys kept your job. And, and so why, let's talk about why Portland, what's your connection to Portland? Is it, you know, was your husband here and why did you guys decide to, to stay here? Because back in those days, Obviously, our startup uh, ecosystem has, has grown and changed a lot. Mm-hmm. It was a little different. So, yeah, tell me a little bit about that decision. So, Cameron is from here, okay. right? So, that brought me to Portland. Mm-hmm. When we launched the company, we felt like, yes, there were some challenges, but what Portland had is the openness to new foods and delicious foods, mm-hmm. clean label foods, gluten-free. So we had some of the qualifications. And another thing that we loved about Portland and still do is the support from the community. Mm -hmm. So being able to start this company out of Kitchen Crew, where at that time, eight years ago, we were working side by side with Ben, founder of Jacobson Salt, Mm -hmm. and Lisa, founder of Petunia Spies and Bakeries, some of the companies that have really excelled as well over the past several years. But they were in their startup mode next to us. We were working together 10, you know, 20 hours a day, whatever it took to make our company succeed. And that support system really helped us uh, grow the company. And so, and and, and it was a Portland thing. Yeah. And so, I mean, you guys are committed to staying here even after taking on the the partner and and it sounds like you're going to grow, right? We we are committed to staying here. This is our home. You know, we've, we love Portland. We live in Southeast and we're here to stay. We want to grow the business here. Yeah. So, well, tell me about, you know, what's what's next for the company and, you know, where are you guys at as far as, you know, expansion with this new partner? I'm you know, curious to know about that. So we took on private equity because the company was at an inflection point. We had, we've been growing very aggressively. The past three years, we grew 4,000%. It's been nuts. Um, but we also realized that the retail the food environment is getting more and more competitive all the time. And it's it's becoming harder to keep up with that growth yeah. and to succeed without the right team and the right data in place. The, the industry is very data-driven. When you com- begin start competing in, at scale, yeah. like we are now, it, it becomes a lot more data-driven. And you just need to stay ahead of the trends in the marketplace. And it's it's challenging to do that with a small team right. and with us, you know, very little resource, which we've, it's been great to run a lean 
team up until this point and really like give everything we got but you get you get to a point that you need to take it to the next level and so that's what triggered us seeking that type of a deal yeah. for the company and i know business wise that made sense but how was that decision for you and your husband kind of personally kind of like handing out you know it's your baby yeah. right your child was that um just kind of a tough thing or it's like hey, this is the right thing to do for the business and we just gotta you know look into this or it's, it, it was the right thing for the business. We, you know, we're very passionate and attached emotionally to the brand because all entrepreneurs that create something, that's human nature. Right. But this is not our first deal. We had done investment deals before. Mm-hmm. We are very aware of the competitive landscape of the industry. And if we are not smart in seeing things for what they are, then we're doing a disservice to ourselves, to our employees, to our customers. And so we want to stay in the forefront and making those delicious products, but we need to make the right moves business-wise to Mm -hmm. make that happen. And we're still involved with the company heavily. We run the company, Mm -hmm. but, you know, I think founders and entrepreneurs, you make those decisions and you just got to accept them, you know? I think if we were... To not be involved with the business now would be a lot harder. Yeah. And it would be that that separation point. I don't think we're ready for that. But that day might come and we'll have to just learn yeah. to live with that. And so when you took this investment, was that also kind of a decision you had to make? Like, are we going to stay running it day to day? Or was that always part of the plan? It or? was a decision. Uh, yeah. But it was part of the package that we were selling. Because yeah. all of the, the private equity folks that were considering the company wanted us to stay in. We are, you know, we started the company. We have a wealth of knowledge that we gather for eight years running this thing. And so to them, there was a huge value. But it needed to make sense for us as well. We needed the right support, the right people with us for us to stay excited to stay on. So it was was kind of a package, but there was... We had to put some thought into it for sure. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of stuff in the news today just about retail and it's changing. (laughs) Retail is a dead. Obviously... You know, you work with retailers. What's what? Do you, what do you hear from them? What's changing? Obviously, you mentioned it's very data driven. Obviously, the technology part of how they um, sell through things is is getting more sophisticated. Kind of, what's the status? Where do you see it changing or going? It's as well? competitive out there. Yeah, it's competitive out there for us in food. Um, you know, food is a low margin business. And better for you, clean label is a little bit better, and mm. it's not as cutthroat, but it's getting there. Mm. One of the biggest impact was the Amazon acquisition of Whole Foods. Right. Um, we've seen cost of doing business there go up significantly. Okay. And, you know, I think and, and there's a lot of com- competition going on. And with um, the home delivery services is, is impacting our business quite a bit. <laughs> Being frozen, we're always challenged because we... We're a frozen foods company now, and we can't deliver direct to consumers. Mm-hmm. And so that avenue is not one that we can pursue effectively currently. Mm-hmm. And so we have to really rely on our retailers and what they are doing and how they are treating their vendors and how they're supporting the brand. It, yeah. It's competitive, but what we're seeing out there, it's it continues to be a relationship-driven industry as well. Interesting, yeah. And so... It's data-driven, but it's also relationship-driven. It's, so, it's sort of you have to check all the marks yeah. for the brand to succeed. And our company has done a good job in getting there, but still a lot of work ahead to maintain and keep growing. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's interesting. Every industry I you know, talk to with folks, 
you know, people still a big part of the game, right, as the technology advances. So it's interesting to hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, getting back to Portland a little bit, as you've been here over the years and it's changed, tell me a little bit about, you know, just the city changing, how that's good for startups and businesses, um, if there are any, you know, challenges to that, of, you know, maybe for future entrepreneurs or your, your peers here locally. One of my favorite things about Portland is that community um, aspect and support that we have yeah. in the entrepreneur communities. I, I network with founders all the time. I'm That's part great. of StarVaps, which is a founders group here locally. Being a part of that group has been a huge uh, support for me and Cameron running our company and making some big decisions. Um, you know, the market, the city is growing. The market for um, building a team is getting tighter. Mm-hmm. It's not always easy to find talent, but one of the things that now that we're, not, we're hiring, we're seeing that there is interest in people moving here. That's been beneficial. It's still got that reputation of a great place to live and quality of life, um, cost of living manageable compared to places like San Francisco and Seattle. Right. Um, it's changing. One of the things that has impacted us in manufacturing recently, our manufacturing plant is... Um, in Tualatin. Okay. And so we felt uh, there was an impact on labor wage, um, minimum wage going up. Um, our cost of goods have gone up because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so some some pressure to the business that it, it's been, but I, I don't, I don't know if that piece is just of Portland, but, but it's, you know, it's, I think that the Hiring is tighter right. nationwide now yeah. with the unemployment low. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so wages are higher for both manufacturing and sales and marketing. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I read yesterday. Where yesterday was the longest bull run of the stock market ever. Now, right? So the economy is good, but obviously that affects the pressures on wages and cost of goods and things. And um, are you finding you're able to you know pass those costs through yet, or how are you guys kind of figuring through that? We have not passed costs through. Um, We have kept in an effort to compete on shelf Mm -hmm. at the retailer and to keep our consumers buying the products that they expect the way, you know, that they they want. We have kind of take on extra costs internally and kind of trying to improve operations and find savings that way. So we're looking for things like freight, to find savings, um, okay. scale, mm-hmm. to lower cost of manufacturing due to volume and things like that. But we have not passed the cost of consumers yet. That's not to say that we won't moving forward, but we, we're, we're really trying to keep that internally yeah. and trying to be efficient manufacturing to bring back those savings to us. Yeah. Well, a couple more questions. One is a little selfish for me. I have a separate business I'm starting and we're considering taking an investment. I would love to get your take on, hey, if you're a founder and what are some of the things you really um, should consider when you're when you're looking to take an investment, what are some important things from, you know, a founder's kind of perspective um, since you've been through this, you know, uh, over the years and took in some rounds of, of funding? I think investors want to know that you have a plan, Mm -hmm. that you know what you're doing, Mm -hmm. that you know your business. They're not looking to come in and teach you about the path forward and teach you about the industry. They're looking at you as a founder entrepreneur to be the expert of that industry and to have a plan, even though it's expected that plan is going to change with time. But you should be the holder of that plan. I think the founders 
often fail when they show up and, and tell an investor, tell me what to do. They, you know, they're, an investor is investing in multiple industries, multiple companies. They want to support you, but, they're, but they're, they're not there to tell you necessarily what to do. I, we found more success when we really like dug deep and knew what the right plan was and studied it and, and then shared what we believe was the path forward for the company, even though that will change, obviously, as par- partners comes along. And another piece I think it's important for founders to consider, when you're out there seeking money and you go out and say, I'm going to go and raise money, have a clear understanding of where you are in your journey, which includes where you are in your revenue marks. For cert- some industries are less, you can sell on the concept. In food, for example, in manufacturing, it's a very tangible business. You're selling on a revenue mark. And some investors, lots of them, especially more sophisticated, will have qualifications. So they need, you, you know, they need maybe you have to have at least a million in revenue, some 10 million, some 30 million. Know those qualifications ahead of time so you're approaching the right group. Right. Yeah. Right? So you're not burning a lot of your time and bandwidth and energy pitching to the wrong group that you're not qualified mm-hmm. in both ways, right? Yeah. Maybe you're too big or too small and, you know, maybe invest uh, investment group is not right yet. You got to go with angels or mm-hmm. you got to do a convertible. No, having an understanding of the multiple different options yeah. that of, for money raising and finding which one is a better, f- better for you at that moment in time that's great advice and obviously you, you know from experience through, through going through this right so um well as we wrap up um just tell me like you know, again what are you excited about about the business now that you're kind of entering this new stage you know um you're still heads down and it sounds like you know very much involved in the day-to-day what's kind of the next milestone you think for you I'm excited about two things. One is that as part of this, we uncovered that the Brazil Bites brand is more than Brazilian cheese bread, and the company will become a platform for better for you Latin American foods. So beyond excited to bring new products to market, products that I grew up love, loving, yeah. that Americans, we are sure, will fall in love as well. Um, and also working with um, private equity on a personal level, I'm I'm very looking forward to elevating my skill set because I started this company from you know the ground up, and I've done deals with angels. I've done, I've pitched here in Portland and lost competitions. I mean, you name it. I've done. I've been on Shark Tank. Right. I've sold a chunk to a strategic. And now I'm doing this deal with private equity, and I'm looking forward to seeing how they look at things, how they are able to grow a company and sell it for more, and what are the things that play in that you know in that universe over the next three or five years, so I can learn more and just keep growing my journey. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I'm Dan Bruden, and you've been listening to the PDX Executive Podcast. Original music was composed for this episode by Levi Downey. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or 